God's word open as we go through the message. Beginning at verse 19 of 1 John chapter 3. We shall know by this that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. In whatever our heart condemns us, for God is greater than our hearts and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. And the one who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And we know by this that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the wonderful opportunity to worship you in spirit and in truth. Thank you for the songs that have magnified the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, we come to you now asking that in a very, very special way that you would use your word in each and every one of our lives. Father, we come before you not interested in what man thinks, but we want to know what you think and what you say and what your will and what your desire is for each and every one of us. So give us ears today to hear what thus saith you and give us hearts to not only hear, but also to heed what the word of God says. We commit ourselves to you and ask that you would glorify yourself through the preaching, teaching, and hearing of your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. Uh, a major theme in 1 John is the assurance of salvation. That is, God wants us to know that we are saved. We said that several times. First John chapter 5, verse 13, John writes, These things I have written to you in order that you may know that you have eternal life. John writes this book of five chapters that we might know as believers, we have eternal life. So throughout this book, he continually talks about the idea of knowing that you may know, know, we know, you know. And he does that because he wants to make sure that when a person walks away from this book, that they understand that as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, that they don't have to question or doubt their salvation, that their salvation can be assured and guaranteed and that it's real. 
Although 1 John is dedicated to the assurance of salvation, sometimes when we go through this book and read this book, it's challenging because John presents his material in black and white statements. When we read this book, it seems like everything is either black or white. There's no gray and there's no grace. And so sometimes we don't live according to the absolutes of scripture. Sometimes we find ourselves in those gray areas. And so when we come to this book, instead of us being encouraged and strengthened that we can know that we have salvation, we can walk away from 1 John and think, maybe I'm not saved. Even though I've been in a church, even though I've been in Bible study, even though I open up God's word for myself, John's hard-hitting statements can discourage us sometimes. It can defeat us sometimes. And we wonder whether or not we are truly a part of the family of God. So there's this tension in the book of 1 John. John wants you to know that you have eternal life. But John also writes in such a way that either you love your brother or you hate your brother. Either you walk in the light or you walk in darkness. Either you keep God's commandments or you don't keep God's commandments. And so there's this tension that all of us who are genuine Christians feel when we come to 1 John. That tension. Am I really saved? John, I hear what you're saying. I, I, I know that you're writing that I can know that I know that I know I have eternal life. But you make some statements, John. That just frustrates me. You make statements that cause me to wonder, wonder, am I truly a child of God? And so periodically, John will take time in this book to encourage his readers. To encourage them, to, to let them know that he really does believe they are saved. That they are part of the family of God. And that even though he gives out these hard-hitting statements that cause us to wonder sometimes about our salvation, John says, let me throw you some encouragement so that you aren't discouraged, so that you're not defeated, so that you don't walk away from this book thinking that you're not saved if you really are saved. And so our passage today is one of those passages where John encourages his readers. He wants them to be certain and sure that things are right between them and God. That they have no reason when they read this letter to walk away with their head down, discouraged and defeated, and throwing up their hands and wondering, am I truly a child of God? And so he gives his readers some assurances. You know the song, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Well, John presents his own version of that song. He talks about blessed assurances that you and I have 
because of our relationship with God. And he wants us, so to speak, to come to these fountains of assurances and drink from these fountains so that we might know that we know that we know in our relationship with God. Because none of us are perfect. Amen? <laughs> none of us. And if you are, you aren't. None of us are perfect. We sin. We struggle with sin. We fight sin. We have to kill sin. And when we go through those experiences, sometimes we're challenged and we wonder, am I really, truly a child of God? Why am I doing this particular thing for the hundredth time? I've been struggling. I've been fighting with this particular sin over and over and over again. Could it be that I'm just not saved? Even though when I look at all of the evidence in Scripture, when I look at the different statements, it seems like I am. So there are times in our walk with God when we are struggling, when we are discouraged, when some others might be saying, I'm not a child of God, and yet, I need encouragement. I need help. And John, in this passage, provides us with such encouragement. He, he's writing to Christians who know that they're not perfect. He's writing to Christians who struggle with sin. But he knows beyond a shadow of a doubt, they are the children of God. And so today, I just want to encourage us. I just want us to come to the word of God, not so much to focus in on what we need to do, but instead to, to hear the assurances, the blessed assurances that Jesus is mine. In verses 19 and 20, please observe the assurances that come and flow from loving one another. There are certain certainties, there are certain convictions, there are certain truths, realities that flow from the flat fact that I, as a Christian, love my brothers and sisters in Christ. And the first assurance is a knowledgeable mind. A knowledgeable mind. The words, by this, it's basically at the heart of verse number 19. And John uses those words by this to take his readers back to verse 18. And the thing that John has said in verse 18 is that genuine love is not manifested with words or with tongue, but true love, biblical love, manifests itself in deed and also in truth. And John says, by this, by loving our brothers and sisters in Christ, indeed, and in truth, we know that we are of the truth. There are certain assurances that will flow from us loving one another. When I, as a Christian, am practicing love to my brothers and sisters in Christ, one of the assurances that come to me, one of the certainties that is mine, 
is that I am of the truth that I know, that I know, that I know that I'm of the truth. Now, John talks about being of the devil. He's talking about the fact of also being of a lie. But here he says, being of the truth. And when he says that, that's just another way that he says that we are children of God. That, that our existence, our reality, is not due to a lie, but it's due to the truth of God and to the truth of Jesus Christ. And, and John says, you can know that you are of the truth. You can know that you are a child of God by the fact that you love your brothers and sisters in Christ. You can have that knowledgeable mind that you are a child of God. It flows from our love toward each other. But there is another assurance that John mentions in these verses, not only a knowledgeable mind, but also a persuaded heart. A persuaded heart. A heart that is convinced that the child of God is of the truth. Our hearts can be persuaded, can be convinced that I do belong to God. And again, that flows from loving one another. That's why the love commandment matters. That's why the love commandment is so important. John is letting us know that because we love one another, our practice of love toward each other, it means that I can know that I'm of the truth and also I can persuade my heart. I can convince my heart. My heart can have the conviction that I am a, of the truth and I can have that conviction not before you and before others, but instead before God. That's why he says at the end of that verse that shall assure our heart before him. In these verses, it's easy to miss this, but John is going to talk about before him, before him, in his presence. And here he's just reminding us that we don't live our lives in isolation. We don't live our lives hidden from God. It doesn't matter what deed we might do. It doesn't matter where we might be. We cannot run away from God. We cannot hide from God. As the writer of Hebrews says, our life is an open book before the eyes of God. And so John says, you can have a persuaded heart that you are of the truth, that you are a child of God before God. This is not some fake imitation thing. This is real. You can persuade your heart. You can have a convinced heart that you are of the truth because you love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Now he goes on in verse 20 and he says some challenging words in verse 20. 
the, the two statements here are challenging because we don't know how they relate to each other. And we don't know how they relate to what John has just said in verse 19. And so I'm not going to go through all the ins and outs of these two statements, but I want to highlight what the two statements say. First of all, John says in verse 20 that our heart can condemn us. Hear that. Our hearts, our conscience can condemn us. Our conscience, our hearts can accuse us. Internally, there's something within us that challenges us and accuses us and causes us to hear accusations about our relationship with God. I don't know about you, but I've experienced that many times, that, that if I sin, there, there's the accusation, there's the charge, not so much from the devil, but from within, my own soul, my, my own heart, my own conscience, what you do, what are you doing doing that as a pastor? How, how can those actions flow from your life? I, I thought you were a child of God. So, so none of us live a perfect life. There will be times that we do sin. We don't want to sin. We shouldn't strive to sin, but we do sin. And the heart, the conscience, sometimes when we sin, accuses us, challenges us, condemns us. And says, you, you ain't who you say you are. You walking around like you're a deacon. And you're doing those things. Are you a pastor? Are you a preacher? Are, are you a, someone who sings in the, on the praise team? You're doing all of these things. And, and the heart can condemn you. We, we need to face that reality. As I walk with God, the, the truth is my heart will make accusations. My heart will make charges against me concerning my relationship with God. And that's a reality that I need to face. But there's something else that verse 20 says. God is greater than our heart and knows all things. That's good news. Because even though my heart could be saying, yeah, you shouldn't have done that, and even accuse me to a certain extent, I'm glad there's someone who's greater than my heart. And I'm glad there's someone who knows my heart and knows all things. The, the, the heart, the human heart, the conscience doesn't know everything. But, but our relationship with the God of heaven and earth, he knows everything. And, and he knows whether or not I'm a, his child. He knows that. He knows that I repented of my sin and put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and that even though I still sin, he knows that I am his. So, so John says, fall back on that. Trust God. Now, when your heart accuses you, when your heart judges you, when the heart takes you to court and says you are guilty of this and that, understand there's someone greater than the prosecutor. And that is the judge, God. He, he greater than the heart. 
He's greater than all things. He's greater than anyone. And he knows. He knows all things. He knows our weaknesses. He, he knows our failures. He knows our struggles. He knows when I try to live for him and I fail and fall flat on my face. And even though my heart might want to rise up and accuse me and judge me, God is greater than my heart. He knows all things. He knows what I'm going through. He understands. And so I can have a heart that is persuaded that I'm of the truth. And when my heart wants to say, oh, you're not of the truth, that the God who knows all things ministers to his children and says, yes, you are of the truth. Those are the assurances that come from loving one another. A knowledgeable mind that I know that I know I'm other truth and a persuaded heart that I'm other truth. And I can have that persuaded heart even in the presence of almighty God. And it's not so much because of me, but it's because of him. He is the one that I trust and lean on in those situations. In verses 21 through 23, please observe the assurances that flow from an uncondemning heart. From a heart that doesn't condemn. And John introduces these assurances, these blessed assurance with the word beloved. How fitting for him to directly address his readers as dearly loved ones. He's been talking about loving one another. He's been talking about the love of God. And now he says to them, dearly loved ones. And when he says that, First and foremost, he's saying that God loves them. I'm addressing you as one whom the Father dearly loves. But John says, I want you to know I love you too. I'm your pastor. I'm your fellow Christian. And I love you too. And the first assurance that comes from an uncondemned heart an uncondemning heart is confidence before God. The heart does not always condemn. We just look at the fact that it can make accusations, that it can judge, that it can condemn. When I don't live right, the heart, the conscience likes to take me into the court and prosecute me. But we should not think that that's all that the heart does. John lets us know in verse 21 that, our, that there are times that our heart does not condemn us. It doesn't condemn us. It doesn't make accusation. Now, there's nothing I can do to make that happen. That's just God's blessing and kindness and goodness to me. There are times my heart is at rest. 
There are times that my heart is confident and at rest with God. And John speaks of that. So don't feel that each and every day that your heart is going to accuse you and condemn you. If that is always taking place, that might be a sign that you don't belong to God. But in the life of the Christian, the heart, the conscience can accuse, but there's also times that the heart does not accuse. And John says, if our heart does not condemn us, then we possess, we have confidence toward God. And that word confidence is a rich word. We've seen it before. It was in chapter 2, verse 28, that when Jesus appears, John says, abide in Christ so that when Jesus appears, that you might have confidence and not shrink away at his coming. So it speaks of an openness, a courageousness, a freedom, a liberty that the child of God has. And John, as he talks about this confidence, this courageousness, he says it's a confidence that we can have toward God. Toward God, the God of heaven and earth. And here, he's not just saying in the presence of God, but he uses different terminology. He's speaking of a face-to-face relationship with God. In John 1.1, when it speaks of Jesus Christ, it says that he was in the beginning, that he was with God. And when it says with God, it means in a face-to-face relationship with God. You and I, as children of God, as we walk here on earth, We have the wonderful privilege and opportunity to have a face-to-face relationship with God. And even though I can't see him, he's with me. And John says, you can have boldness, you can have courageousness, you can have freedom in that face-to-face relationship with God. So that when you're walking with him and you're talking with him, you're not doing like Adam, you're not running from the presence of God, but instead you're embracing the presence of God. You're enjoying the presence of God. We can have confidence toward God. That is good news. So that in my Christian life, I don't always have to run from God. I don't try, I have to try to act, you know, act like I can escape from God. I can come boldly, as the writer of Hebrews says, into the presence of God and receive grace and mercy and help in the time of need. So here John is saying that when your heart doesn't condemn you, one of the blessed assurances is confidence toward God. Boldness and frankness and courageousness toward God. But he says there's another blessed assurance related to this uncondemning heart, and that is answered prayer. Now, this verse blows me out of the water. This verse is hard for me to really believe. I'm just going to admit it. But, but, but look at the verse, verse 22. 
and is flowing from the assurance that comes from an uncondemning heart. John says, and whatever we ask, whatever we ask, we receive from him. Because we keep his commandments and we do the things that are pleasing in his sight. Did you hear that? Did you hear the marvelous promise, the assurance concerning answer prayer? Whatever we ask, we receive from him. I don't believe that. I've asked a lot of things. So how can this be true? How can this be a reality? How can this be a blessed assurance? This whatever we ask, we receive. That's terminology that you'll find on the lips of Jesus. If you go to John 13 through 17, don't turn there now. But in the upper room discourse, Jesus repeatedly used this kind of language. In chapter 14, verses 13 through 14, he said, Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. John 15, 6, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. John 16, 23, if you shall ask the Father for anything, he will give it to you in my name. Jesus says, whatever, you ask. Now he does give a condition. And, and the condition is you got to ask in his name. And, and you know and I know that doesn't mean ending the prayer in Jesus' name. You can end all your prayers in Jesus' name and not be in Jesus' name. But the name represents the person of Christ. It represents the work of Christ. So we are to ask in harmony with the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus keeps stressing. Ask whatever you want, but ask in my name. Now, when we come to John, John gives us a little bit more insight. He says, whatever we ask, we receive from him. Why? Why? The text says, because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. Did you see that? The, the reason why we receive whatever we ask, because those who are asking are individuals who are keeping the commandments of God. They're obeying God. And not, are they, not only are they obeying God, but they are practicing and doing the things that please God. So my friends, if you want to focus on something in your Christian life, if you want some goals and aspirations on how you should live your life, focus on keeping God's word and pleasing God, doing the things that please him. And so when you put all of this together, whatever you ask, you'll receive means, first of all, you're praying in the name of Jesus Christ. It means, secondly, that you're obeying God's word. You're living a life of obedience. It means, thirdly, that you are practicing the things that please God. That's your utmost concern. 
You're seeking his things and not your own things. And then if I were to add one more thing that makes this verse believable, is that when you come to 1 John 5, verse 14, John says you have to ask whatever you ask according to the will of God. So my friends, you meet those conditions, ask whatever you want. Jesus says you'll receive it. That's what he's saying. Ask whatever you want. Meeting the condition that you are asking in Jesus' name. You're obeying God's commandments. You're practicing the things that please God. And you're asking according to the will of God. And that throws out a whole bunch of silly prayers. That throws out a whole lot of prayers. And I'm not saying you can bring, can't bring everything to God, but just understand some things, there's no need bringing. Because you're not living right. You're not seeking to do his will. This is not something that Jesus would ask. And you're not asking according to the will of God. But answer prayer. We don't have to wonder or doubt. We can have the assurance of answer prayer. Because we keep his commandments and we practice the things that please him. And that leaves John in verse 23 to switch from talking about the commandments of God to the commandment of God. Instead of, uh, instead of talking about a plurality of God's commandments, he talks about the singularity of God's commandments. So he says in verse 23, this is his commandment. This is God's commandment. And once again, John is emphasizing that when it comes to the word of God, it's not a book of suggestions. It's a book that contains commandments. Things that God is demanding that we are to do. Things that we are to practice. And here in verse 23 is God's commandment. It's a twofold commandment. Believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. That is, don't just believe in Jesus Christ, but believe in the name of Jesus Christ. That is more comprehensive. That covers the person of Christ and the work of Christ. Believe in who Jesus is and believe in what he has done. And that's the command. That's not a suggestion. If you're here today without Christ, the commandment is believe in the name of Jesus Christ. A failure to believe in the name of Jesus Christ is absolutely foolishness and detrimental to your eternal destiny. So John says, believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. But also, 
The commandment is to love one another. You getting tired of John? Keeps talking about this loving one another. We heard it last Sunday. We're able to go home and rest a while and forget about it. Here we are again. John said it's his commandment. It's as fundamental as believing in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. John says you boil it down. It's here it is. Believe and love. It's not that complicated, my friends. It's believe and love. That's what the gospel demands of those who are followers of Jesus Christ. Love one another. Just as he, Jesus Christ, commanded his disciples in John 13, verses 34 and 35. So these are the assurances that come from the fountain of an uncondemning heart. A heart that is at peace and is at rest with God. There's confidence toward God and with God. And not only that, there is answered prayer. The last thing that I want you to see is in verse 24. And this is the assurance that comes from the fountain of the Holy Spirit. John, when you look at this passage as a whole, began verse 19 by saying, we shall know. We shall know. When he ends in verse 24, he says, we know. This is a passage about assurance again. John is trying to encourage his readers that you can know that you know that you know that there are assurances that come through various avenues. Here, this is the assurance that comes from the Holy Spirit. And the assurance that comes from the Spirit of God is this, mutual indwelling. I know we don't go around talking like that, but, but I want you to see how wonderful and amazing this concept is. This is not just indwelling. This is mutual indwelling. To, to put it in the words of John, the individual can know that they abide in God and God abides in him. He gives a shortcut version that says, God abides in us. So I can be assured by the Holy Spirit that I have an intimate, personal, close relationship with God. For the third consecutive verse, John talks about keeping God's commandments. He says in this verse, the one who keeps his commandments, the, the, the one who practices the word, the one who's a doer of the word, what's the assurance? What's the significance of that? John says, if you are one who keeps the word and obeys the word, then you abide in God. That's not literal, that's metaphorical, but it's a marvelous truth that here am I, puny, insignificant, 
small human being, but I can abide in God, the God of heaven and earth. And if that's not enough, he goes on to say, not only does the one who keep God's word abide in God, but God abides in the one who keeps his word. Do you see this? It's hard to illustrate it because here is something that's in this and yet this is in that. There's a connection here. There's a bond here that is so close, so integral, so integrated that you can't separate it at all. I'm in God. God is in me. That's mutual indwelling. That's mutual fellowship. It doesn't get any closer than that. Some of you look at God and say, yes, I have fellowship with God, but God is way out there. But but John is saying that when we keep his commandments, we can rest assured that God is not way out there, but God is in me and I am in God. I'm experiencing that which is intimate and personal and close. You can know as he says in that verse, that you abide, that he abides in you. How can you know that? You can know it by the Spirit whom he has given us. This is a reference to the Holy Spirit. On Wednesday night, we spent almost a year teaching on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. We talked about all of these blessings that are ours because of our relationship with Christ that come from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit regenerates us. He gives us new life. The Holy Spirit indwells us. The moment of salvation, my body becomes his temple. That's why it matters what I do with my body. That's why it matters what I take into my body. That's why it matters what I do with my body because my body is the actual house and temple of the Holy Spirit. I've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. I don't have to worry that I might lose my salvation. No, I've been sealed until the day of redemption. God has given me his spirit as a down payment that all that he has promised me will come to pass. I've been baptized or placed into the body of Christ. So many wonderful benefits from the Holy Spirit. He's gifted the Christian so that I have a spiritual gift, an ability to serve. But here John says that the Spirit is the one who has been given us so that we might know that we are in God. That we might know that God is in us. How do I know that? I know from the truth of the word, but I also know from the Holy Spirit whom he has given to me. So blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. But John has his own version of this song, Blessed Assurance. He wants us to know that there are assurances that come from the fountain of loving one another. 
and from the fountain of an uncondemning heart and from the fountain of the Holy Spirit. And when we come to these fountains and when we drink from these fountains, even though our heart might accuse us and condemn us, even though our walk with God might not be all that it should be, but when we come to these fountains, we can have the blessed assurance of a knowledgeable mind that I know that I'm of the truth. We can have the blessed assurance of a persuaded heart. I can be convinced in my heart, my heart can know for certain that I'm of the truth. We can know we can experience the blessed assurance of confidence toward God. That in my face-to-face relationship with God, I don't have to run in fear. I don't have to, be, to flee and be afraid. But I can have an open and confident relationship with the God of heaven and earth. The blessed assurance of answered prayer. That whatever we ask, we receive. And then the blessed assurance of mutual indwelling. Not just that I'm in Christ. That is a wonderful truth. But here that the one who keeps God's word is in God. And God is in that individual. And it doesn't get any better than that. You're not ever, ever going to get any closer than what John refers to as mutual indwelling. That God is in you and you are in God. So instead of us singing, blessed assurance, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we bow before you and give you thanks for the encouragements that come from your word. Thank you for the blessed assurances that we have seen. May you use this passage to cause us to think about all of the wonderful things that are ours in Jesus Christ. How we can have a knowledgeable mind, a persuaded heart. How we can have confidence toward you and answer prayer. And how we can be certain of mutual indwelling. It's beyond our comprehension. It's beyond our understanding how we can be in you and you can be in us. But thank you for that blessed truth, for that blessed reality. May that encourage us that no matter what we are going through, no matter what we are facing, that You are in us, and we are in you. May that anchor us and cause us to continually trust you and depend upon you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.